Hi, this is Jesse Lynn Stoner, and you're listening to Leadership Biz Cafe. Hi, everyone. This is Tamara Nasir, welcoming you to the latest episode of my podcast, Leadership Biz Cafe. In this episode, I'm delighted to have Jesse Lynn Stoner as my guest. Jesse is the co-author of the international bestseller, Full Steam Ahead, Unleash the Power of Vision in Your Work and Your Life, which has been translated into 22 languages and was recently released in a revised and expanded second edition. For over 30 years, she has worked with leaders in hundreds of organizations worldwide, from Fortune 500s to nonprofits, including Honda, Pfizer, Marriott, and Yale University. She has made it her goal to help organizations and their leaders understand the value and importance of vision, both to their overall success and to their ability to thrive in today's challenging world. So, Jesse, welcome to the show. It's good to have you here. Thank you, Tanvir. I'm delighted to be here. Now, vision is one of those concepts in business that tends to polarize people, with uh, one group seeing it as being critical to an organization's long-term success while others see it as being something that's nice to have, but not as vital as developing effective strategies to address current issues. So to start things going, what does vision mean to you? Why is it important for today's organizations? Well, uh, vision is about knowing where you're going. So from my point of view, I, if you're even putting a strategy together or short-term plans, and I, and I understand the importance of those, um, if you don't know where you're going with them and if you don't know why, um, you're not sure, you don't know exactly where you're going to end up. So uh, to me, it's a no-brainer that if you're leading somebody, you're leading them somewhere. Where is it? Uh, and hopefully it's not in circles. <laughs> so um, I understand what you're saying about the, the, the two camps, and I, I think there's a, a number of reasons for that. I think most people will give at least lip service to vision, but I think that um, a lot of people will say, okay, well, let's do the vision thing and then let's get back to business. So then how does creating a vision um, differ from defining a series of objectives or goals you want your team to achieve from saying, okay, well, let's get these three goals knocked down, let's get those wins, and then once we see what comes out of that, let's establish another series. How does just doing that differ from, you know, we have to sit down and create this vision of what we want to achieve. Right. And I think that, that sitting down and creating the vision of what we want to achieve is kind of the big picture of, of what's this all about. So it, it creates the context for you to set the goals and the, and determine the strategy to get there. And, and, and I'll give you a couple of quick examples. One's a team example and another is an organizational example. Um, I was uh, uh, working uh, many years ago with a, um, uh, a learning and development team, and th- there's millions of projects that they could implement, and some of them were three-year projects. But if they didn't have a picture of, of how, what was their position in the organization, how did they want to be used in the, in the organization, because they really needed to shift up from being implementers of um, activities to being business partners because they knew that the business needed them to do that, even if the business leaders didn't understand exactly why. And one of the reasons that the business needed them to do that is because 
um, as they were making decisions on where to open new stores, they really ought to be taking into consideration some of the things like the demographics and are they going to be able to get enough employees to um, staff it and uh, transportation issues and what are some of the um, HR issues so that if they were at the table at the beginning, uh, there would be fewer problems down the road. That, that's at a, you know, just a, a big picture level. So their vision for HR in general and also for learning and development in specific, which was around leadership development, was to um, ensure that there was going to be a constant supply of leaders at all levels. Um, that also had huge implications for their um, not only retention efforts, but also for um, staffing and um, also for their um, long-range planning around uh, leadership development and leadership planning. So it's, um, it, it's a big-picture context that really uh, supports you making setting the right goals and um, putting in the right strategy. Um, and then at a company level, I'll give you a very quick example, a company, uh, a European company that I was uh, working with a couple of years ago, uh, based in uh, the UK, uh, is on a significant growth strategy and had chosen to expand into Europe. So how are they going to make decisions about how fast they're going to expand, what countries they're going to expand into, why Europe, um, why not move into uh, some of the more developing countries, you know, what, where's their growth potential, and what, if they're understanding, if they have a vision about what business they're in, what it is that they're bringing uh, forward, it's going to help them make a much better decision about what countries are going to be most likely to, to embrace what it is that they have to offer. I, I think that's uh, one of the problems that Disney made when uh, they set up uh, Disney World in um in France in the beginning. They didn't understand the context and, or, or the bigger picture. They, they were just implementing a uh, program and didn't create that larger picture for themselves. Well, one of the interesting aspects of your book in discussing this concept of vision was how you use a, a story narrative to illustrate your points on vision. And perhaps that's a key aspect uh, that we've disconnected with when it comes to vision, that it's not simply a mission statement, but it should serve as the narrative for your organization. Uh, what some would say is the story that tells others what your organization is about. And I think that's what your examples are showing, that here are two companies that want to do these expansion plans, but they lack that context of how it fits into their story. Oh, I, that, I love that, Tanvir, about the... Uh... The story of the book is told in a parable, uh, and the idea that that's um, a, a metaphor for the actuality of what vision is. It's because it is a conversation. You're absolutely right. And um, the, it's the dialogue that happens on an ongoing basis, not just an activity where you write something and stick it on the wall and then, um, you know, maybe revisit it once a year. If it's not something that's really alive and in the conversation, then it's not really something that's going to be very helpful to you. Now, to bring this conversation down to a bit more um, concrete terms regarding vision, your book discusses not only the process of how to go about creating a vision plan, but also what a vision statement should include. So could you talk about the key elements that are found in an effective vision statement? Right. Thank you. Um, I, because I think this is 
the real value added that um, we can bring forward uh, and uh, help people with. Because I think a lot of people think that a vision is something like to put a man on the moon by 1969, which was the um, articulated by uh, President Kennedy in the United States and at the beginning of the 1960s. And just having that clear picture of the end result, we overcame uh, what seemed like insurmountable obstacles in the United States. I mean, we hadn't even invented the technology to achieve it. Um, but the problem was that there was no context, that bigger picture that we were talking about, to guide the decision-making going forward. So even though there was a clear picture of the end result, um, after we put a man on the moon, now what? You know, we're, you know that we don't know what we're going to do next because we don't have a vision for uh, NASA, uh, for, the, um, for the space program, and, and uh, not one that's been embraced. And that's been... Um, that's a challenge. So if you think a vision is something like a three-year vision or a five-year vision, then that's really more to me a long-range goal and an objective. Um, it's not something that's going to continue to guide you as you go forward. So to have a vision that's going to guide you on a day-by-day -day basis, not only do you have to have that clear picture of the end result, which is very powerful, but to also understand the why. What's the purpose? Why are we doing it? So for uh, for NASA, um, it, it was interesting because I was I was raising this question with a um, a group that I was talking with at one point, and uh, one of the gentlemen in the audience uh, raised his hand and said, "Excuse me, I was an engineer on that project." And he said, "Internally, we did have a clear purpose. It just wasn't understood and embraced by the larger country." And uh, he said, "But it really motivated us." And I said, "What was it?" And he said, if you'll remember, in the 1960s, we were concerned about overpopulation. And for us, this was the next frontier. This was how we were going to save the human race. And uh, I thought, wow, <laughs> you know, a noble purpose is incredibly powerful because now you know what you're going to do next. Um, as opposed to we're doing this to beat the Russians. Okay, well, we beat them. Now what? You know, well, we got to keep beating them. So any vision that's about beating the competition isn't going to get you very far, you know, as soon as the race is over. Um, and we could, you know, we could say more about that. But then the third piece that is really critical, and this is to your point, Tanvir, about keeping the conversation alive, is the values. And if the vision also uh, makes explicit the underlying values about how you're going to go about proceeding, then um, that's what's going to guide your decision-making on a day-by-day -day basis. And the values that are needed are those that are going to support the purpose. It's not just, oh, let's just pick out values that we think are nice. It's what values do we need to implement and to actualize this particular uh, vision that we have. Now, in Discussing the point about having values being defined as part of your vision, uh, there's an interesting point you bring up in your book about that, and that is that in the process of defining your organizational values, it's also important that you rank them in terms of importance. So could you explain why it's necessary for organizations to rank order their values? The problem is, is that when you have to make a decision and you've got more than one value up on the table, which one is the one that's going to guide the decision? 
for example, uh, with the Tylenol tampering incident, uh, you know, that made Johnson & Johnson so famous, uh, they had to make a very quick decision about what they were going to do and their value around uh, valuing human life took precedence over um, their value about profitability and they were willing to take that risk on the profitability and do what was right. And in the end, it actually played out for them because they got so much credit and um, admiration and respect that their long-term uh, uh, profitability was actually impacted uh, quite positively. Um, a, a very quick example would be um, at Disney, uh, again, I'm back to Disney, I don't know why, um, but just thinking about them, they've got um, safety as their number one value, um, uh, customer service putting on the show or other values. So if a, uh, an employee or a person who works there is uh, uh, chatting with somebody, providing very nice customer service, and they hear a scream somewhere, and they know that it's, uh, you know, not just somebody having a good time on one of the rides, that value is going to call because it's their number one value. This brings to mind another point that really resonated with me in terms of how you create a vision for your organization. Uh, and that was that it's important that you focus on what you gain from pursuing that goal as opposed to concentrating on what you have to give up in the process. Uh, certainly, that approach would facilitate employees to embrace the vision as their own because they can see what they stand to gain from pursuing that objective instead of what they might lose because of this plan that's being presented. It's so much more powerful to focus on what you want rather than what you want to get rid of. I mean, even at a personal level, um, I talk to people all the time and, you know, I say, what do you want? And they start thinking of all the things they don't like in their lives that they want to be different. And just even focusing on those things, you can feel your energy level going down as opposed to, but what do you want? And then they start thinking about, well, you know, I, I really love to play music and I'd love to find a way to integrate music into my life. And, and you can hear their their voice changes, their energy level goes up. Um, and just pay attention, you know, to yourself. It, there's, it's just some sort of law of nature that... Um, Focusing on uh, what's proactive as opposed to reactive uh, uh, is much more powerful. Right. And this also kind of ties into your earlier point that, uh, you know, when we create these visions which help us to define our goals, it has to be tied to creating a sense of purpose in the work people do. Uh, and that's a key factor to making the vision plan effective, that it's not so much telling us uh, where we're going to go, but why it matters that we're going in that direction. Right, and I think that's part of the the process of bringing that vision from the 30,000-foot level right down into reality is um, part of the process that needs to occur, and, and that's why I encourage people not to just nail the vision down but to really create a process that engages people in the creation of the vision so that they can see how they fit into it um, and that every person in the organization can see how what they do contributes. So the um, example of the post that you wrote, Tandir, about the uh, man who was part of the Apollo Moon Project who was um, uh, mopping could actually see that what he was doing was helping put a man on the moon. He wasn't just cleaning the floor. And that's that's so important for people to see how – 
what their specific role is, it contributes to this larger vision. And, and that's our challenge uh, as leaders. It's not just to create the vision, but also to look at the process that we're using to create it and also the process that we're using to engage with it on a day-by-day basis. Absolutely. I think that's why President Kennedy's vision of putting a man on the moon within a decade is still one we all talk about and write about is because it evolved from being a vision that was his to one that was adopted and championed by everyone who was involved in the project, like you mentioned uh, with the engineer who was present at one of your talks. But now the question then becomes is in order to create that vision where leaders are not the only torchbearers, but everyone on the team is motivated and driven to carry that flame, um, how do leaders take that vision they have and transform it into something that exists and thrives outside of themselves? Well, it's the conversation and uh, how, you know, having that conversation with people and challenging them to say, how does what you do contribute to our vision? And um, and leaders at all levels really looking at that and working with their people to have that conversation. Um, interesting things happen when we start doing that because when you look at what the purpose of your activities are, sometimes you re- you actually end up redefining what your role is in the organization. And uh, well, one of the things I was really quite impressed with is my um, co-author uh, Ken Blanchard's company uh, consulting firm um, decided that inst- the uh, people would answer the phone when you call. Instead of calling themselves receptionists, they decided to call themselves uh, directors of first impressions because they realized that they were the contact, the first contact if somebody was calling the company uh, that somebody was going to have. And it was their responsibility to welcome them into the organization because that was consistent with the kind of company that they see themselves as, as a relationship-oriented company that um, helps people, you know, achieve their leadership goals. And uh, so so that you don't just answer the phone. You're not just a receptionist. Uh, but it's a discovery process, and that, that's part of the story of the book also, is that the book is a discovery process. And um, I, I don't think that vision is something that we bestow on people. I don't think that as a leader you can go around and tell everybody what their role is, but they're going to really take it into their hearts and really understand it very deeply. You've got to create the opportunity for them to have the conversation, think about it, and also make a contribution so that they're not just passive recipients. Right, and that's a very important point. I mean, it's not that you come in, walk in the room, this is our vision, and then try to convince everyone to adopt it, but to say, here's my idea, how are we going to translate this into a vision we can all stand behind? Right, and how are we going to do it? I mean, we can go back to the Kennedy example. He articulated the end result. He didn't tell people how to do it. If we go to Martin Luther King and we take a look at the vision that he articulated, he didn't tell he didn't tell people how to do it. He created the the picture of what it could look like if we really created a world with of unity and brotherhood and um, respect, and um, that people can figure out the how and participate in that as well. The other challenge that there is with creating an enduring vision uh, is that it requires leaders to continue to champion it. One of the reasons why I think it's fallen out of favor of people 
is because, you know, a vision or a plan gets drafted up, everyone's excited by the prospects of what this means for the organization, but then they return to their daily routine of putting out fires and just trying to keep their heads above water, that the message becomes more like an, a weekend excursion exercise rather than an actual effort to map out where they want their organization to be in the next five to ten years. Right. And one of the really important things that needs to happen is once you've articulated the vision is you've really got to look through your processes and your systems and your structures to ensure that they're aligned with the vision because that's what part of it. I mean, if you're a human nature and you're uh, some people tend to be more short-term focused, some people tend to be more big-picture focused, so human nature is kind of going to go where it's going to go. But if your um, uh, systems and your processes are aligned with it. It's going to help people people stay on track with it. And I think that that's one of the reasons that people tend to revert to status quo is they haven't set up accountability systems, communication systems, information systems, reward systems that are aligned with their vision. So I guess the big question then comes when we look at our current world of continual change and upheavals and this growing global competitiveness. How can leaders ensure that their vision remains relevant both to their organization and to those who are basically supposed to take this and embrace it as their own and, and tie it to their sense of purpose of the work they do? Well, I, I think for one thing, the, the vision, actually, the closer you come to it, the more clear it becomes. Um, so that in some ways it changes in terms of how you articulate it or understand it. Uh, it's not that the essence of a change, but it, you get smarter about it. So leaders keep it alive by revisiting it, having conversations about it, and asking um, uh, the organization, you know, what's making sense right now, what's working, what isn't, what's, and looking at it in the context of the environment, what's happening politically, what's happening um, geographically, what's happening in terms of technology, um, so that you're constantly it's a, a kind of an in, an engagement with it um, so that it's not just a one-time activity. Well, Jesse, I think you've helped to shed some light here on the continued importance that creating a vision plan has for an organization's success. And I'd love to have you come back on the show again so we can delve a little deeper into this topic. Well, I, I loved your questions, and I really appreciated the opportunity to talk with you today, Tanvir. I've been talking with Jessie Lynn Stoner about her book, Full Steam Ahead, Unleash the Power of Vision in Your Work and Your Life. To learn more about her book and where you can read more of Jessie's writings on leadership and vision, check out the links featured on this episode's page on my website at tanvirnasir.com. And that concludes this episode of Leadership Biz Cafe. I hope you enjoyed this latest discussion, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, as well as what topics you'd like to hear in future episodes of this show. You could do this by leaving a comment on this episode's webpage or by filling out the contact form on my website. Until next time, this is Tavern Nasir. Thanks everyone for listening.